What if Dolly Parton wrote us a theme song? Would it sound like this? Would it sound like this? Peace, love, and all that good shit. What if Dolly Parton wrote us a theme song? Would it sound like this? Would it sound like this? Hippie Witch, season six. That was a good one. Hello! Thanks for joining me for episode 549 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com where you will also find the show notes for this episode including links to today's enchanting guest Molly Roberts woohoo Molly Roberts and her new book Art Magic How to Become an Art Witch and Unlock Your Secret Power and I should say right now that this interview is one super biased mutual love fest because Molly is my friend, but also Pinky Swear Promise, she is every bit the unicorn I am trying to make her out to be here. Like, even better behind the scenes than how she appears to the public, which is very, very good. She's incredibly warm and creative, both on and off the screen. So for today's episode, we actually talked a little bit about that, like why she is that way. And we talked about the nature of language, beauty as the first tenet of a spiritual practice, and of course, what it's like to live a colorful, crafty life as an art witch. Something that I would recommend you do while you listen to this is Keep an ear out for the passion and excitement in her voice about what she does. She's like, yes, yes, all throughout this interview. <laughs> she actually delights in her own work, which you know, you would hope would be true about someone who makes their living creating colorful art and talking about magic, but also it can catch you off guard how quickly that can become a grind if you're not grounded in love of craft and a commitment to the process. On the flip side, I love that we also got to talk about the very real experience of burnout and how it ended up landing her in the emergency room and how a kick-ass tarot reading got her moving then again in a healthier, more vibrant direction. Which brings us to today. I am so happy and honored to cheese out about my friend's new book, her first traditionally published book, Art Magic. It's so Molly, too. Once you see it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, if you know Molly, you're going to look at this book and you're going to be like, this is Molly's first book. This is the book that should be Molly's first book. And this is a really funny thing to get a kick out of, but I kind of get a kick out of the fact that it's going to be on the shelves at Target. Like, I will specifically go to Target to take a picture of Molly's book on the shelf. That's how I feel about it. That's how I feel about Molly. Without any further ado, let's get into this conversation. Hello, Molly. Welcome back to Hippie Witch. 
Hello, hello. Hi, Joanna. And hello, all of Joanna's friends. It's wonderful to be here again. <laughs> and under such awesome circumstances, I feel like all of internet witchery is going to be so excited that Molly Roberts has a book. And what I love about this book is it's so congruent with who you have always been online consistently. This is just a continuation of what you do. And that feels so right to me. Can you, can you tell us the name of your new book? The book is titled Art Magic, How to Become an Art Witch and Unlock Your Creative power. And it is, it's a straight up grimoire. It is a collection of art magic spells for the beginner and for the not so beginner. So I hope it's, it's both illuminating and challenging for people. I really wanted to bring the best of the best projects to this you, book. So, and thank you for your, your generous uh, <laughs> endorsement there. It's been a really wild ride and a fun project and I'm excited for people to use it and make things. I just know for sure my audience loves you. And I think you are unique in that way. I feel like you are the Betty White, Mr. Rogers of <laughs> the witchy community, <laughs> Dolly Parton. You know, those people that like, if you're a hater, you just, you're just a hater. Like there are some people that you're not allowed to hate because generally everybody loves them because they're just so pure. I feel like you're one of those people. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. I, you don't recently, have to respond. I know that's really weird, but I just recently truth. got a message that the Betty White thing uh, made me laugh. Um, recently received a message from someone saying that they were trying to explain to an older parent that witchcraft is not evil and show them what some real life witches, you know, capital W witches look like and showed them my videos. And her elderly mother said, oh my gosh, this woman is the Bob Ross of, of <laughs> art team. And I was just like, oh, that's the nicest thing Like, that's a badge. That's a responsibility. I have to, I got to work to like, to live up to that. <laughs> no, you don't. That's the whole point. You, you just have to keep being yourself. And I'm a person who knows you behind the scenes. We are friends behind the scenes. And I would never make you explain why you have that Bob Ross magic, but I have my own theory. And it's because you are very <laughs> humble and unpretentious. You're super gifted. You know, you were in this really cool rock band, Tiger Night, and you were a burlesque dancer and you do all this cool art magic. You have a big following on the internet and you could not be more humble or less egotistical. And I feel like that comes through. I know it's true just from being friends with you, but I feel like other people feel that too. Mm. It's a nice quality. That's comforting to know. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like it's something worth mentioning because I feel like a lot of people think they have to be someone they're not to That's be the worst thing you could do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like it's instructive in a way, like look at this person doing this thing and just being herself. Why are you able to do that? I, I feel like this goes back to your mother in some way. I think, I think it goes back it's a pattern I feel like that comes up again and again and again. Um, my, since you brought it up, my mother is an artist. She's absolutely an artist. 
my parents met in art school and both of them really instilled a do it yourself, make it yourself, make your own fun. You have to make your own fun and bring your own party. And that was definitely there. And my mom was working in an industry, which at the time, women weren't really respected at all as real artists. And um, she put in us that you can't, you can't be full of yourself. You need to work really hard. Uh, you need to come up with creative solutions. So that was always there. That's always been there as well as uh, my love of magic. That was a hundred percent instilled by my parents, whether they intended that or not. Mm. <laughs> but I, I, I tell people that a lot of my uh, original feminist upbringing actually came from my mom introducing me to fantasy literature. There were all these really strong sorceress women that made things happen and it didn't have to be they didn't have to be the hero of the story to be the reason for the story and that I feel like is has always been sort of an undercurrent and yes. the idea of pretension you know in the art world as I push my glasses up my nose <laughs> uh, pretension in the art world was something I always struggled with it just rubbed me the wrong way when I was in art school my work was criticized as being my, my favorite thing a professor said about my work during critique. I was, I was an oil painter, I was a figure painter, fine artist, was that my work was decorative at best. Oh. And they thought that this was the most insulting thing they could say to me. And I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> because to me, that means, well, then that means this work is of use to people. And that's what art is supposed to be about. Art is for the people. And that took me into performance arts and burlesque and making music because for me that was art for the people it wasn't art meant to confuse people it wasn't uh art that was up at can I swear on your show I'm, I'm not absolutely <laughs> but art that was made to be enjoyed and used and, and and of use to people and I also had the opportunity to work in what is in my town, the highest end sort of cultural establishment working in an art museum. And it was the most harrowing, like dehumanizing a job I ever had. And it revealed a lot of things to me. It was a big part of my education about uh, socioeconomic struggles and race relations and things like that in my city where it's like, wow, this institution that's supposed to be about art and culture is really designed to keep people out. It's designed to keep people out and make art hard, even though they have these cute free days and things like that looks really nice, but you need to be a certain kind of person with a certain amount of money and enjoy certain things to be welcome here. And I think all of those things on this giant art making journey have all been about like shed the pretension, get rid of that. And the more of it you can get rid of, the more effective and more of service you can be to people. So that's my TED talk about pretension. <laughs> Oh my God, I had no idea that that was about to happen. And it's so, I can see it. First of all, most of what you just said, you can say of the occult community as well. Mm -hmm. There's a certain pretension that happens sometimes that feels designed to leave people out. And mm -hmm. to me, magic is for the people, just like you were saying about art. So what you do is really interesting because it includes both of those things. And what I know about the people who love you 
is you're giving them their own creativity. You're really not standing on a pedestal performing your art. You do that. They love it. They love to see what you do, myself included, Mm -hmm. but you show them how to do it. And then they get such a huge kick out of doing these projects with you. And I love that when people share that with me, they show things that they've made, you know, this is the first thing I've ever tried to make, or it's been a 20 year break in making things because I've been taking care of children and I'm now an empty nester and I have the opportunity to get back in touch with my creativity, or this is what my special needs child and I have created together. And I never imagined in a million years that this would be my life, but it gives me so much purpose. And what did you? I'm grateful that people, I thought I would be truthfully real, real talk. Uh, I always wanted to be an event planner. That was where I was going. And that's how I got into some of these other institutions, because to me, I felt like event planning was creating art for the people. It's that's an installation, right? You're creating a space and a flow and an experience for people. And that's really what I thought I was going to do. And I've shared this experience a fair amount on my blog and um, anybody who's taken my courses or read any of my previous zines, I'm pretty open about that experience uh, of doing that for so many years, just burnt me out and realized that at least for me, that was a surface desire and not really the heart of what I wanted to get to. And I just honestly did not have the personality for the industry. (laughs) I just didn't have the personality for the industry. And so I left and said, well, now what am I going to do? That was my plan. That was my whole plan. And then YouTube. Yeah. I I mean, how how, how could we ever have planned for YouTube or podcasting? These are things that they're amazing gifts to the artsy community because they gave us a way to pay our bills <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> to make mm-hmm. our decorative art and have people who actually appreciate it. You and freaking find your people, right? Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a miracle. It's mm-hmm. we're so lucky to be alive right now in this time. Absolutely. I, I think one of the challenging things about being a really creative person, highly creative that being part of your identity is you could potentially do dozens of things. I'm one of those people. I love to dance. I love to draw. I love to write. I love to sing. I love, I just, I love it all. And that actually can be a little bit paralyzing sometimes, or you end up trying on a lot of different things. And I feel like what the internet allows us to do is kind of do all of it and just say, this is the Molly Roberts package, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I tell people, (laughs) I don't know if you have this experience or anyone listening right now has had this experience when you have sort of uh, an out of the box job explaining to people, because that's how we relate to one another, right? When you go to a party or you're at a concert and you're talking to somebody or you're on a plane, it's like, well, what do you do? And they mean, what do you do for work? And having to explain to people like, well, I'm a witch on the internet who teaches people how to make magical paintings. And they're like, can I buy drugs from you? And I'm like, I know it's crazy. Like who thought that this would work? And yeah, that's my job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does it feel like it's gotten really concentrated for you? Like in the illustration or does it feel multi-passionate? I still, I want to say multi-passionate. I've always been a drawer. 
that's always been a thing uh, for a while. I didn't think I was, this is funny, as a, I'm an art teacher, they teach people how to make art. I didn't think I was allowed to be an illustrator because I did not go to school for illustration. And uh, illustration is a majority of what I do at this, at this point. And I love that. I'm always learning, uh, brings me a lot of joy. But I will always, there will always be a painter inside me. There will always be a tinkerer inside me. There will always be a magician and a, a librarian and <laughs> like an archaeologist, <laughs> an interior decorator. And what I think is so wonderful about the art magic world is I can I can bring all of those passions into this really crystallized little world that I get to share with people. Yeah, so yeah I would say still multi-passionate for sure. And the pro there are 15 projects I have not, sadly, been allowed into the Art Magic book. It is available for pre-order right now, but I have not gotten to see inside of it. But I have thoroughly read <laughs> as much of the description as is available. And from what I understand, there are 15 projects. And it is not illustration. It's creating your own oracle set. I love this terminology, protection plushies protection plushies yes gonna <laughs> <laughs> assume this involves some fabric oh yeah we we get into a lot so I actually I, this is embarrassing Joanna I counted up the projects I thought there were 15 there's 19 there's 19 projects oh well, <laughs> well they, they have to change the Amazon copy yeah, I recounted and there's a lot of projects in this book. We'll just call them bonus. The, the yeah, four so are bonus. They're bonus, bonus projects. projects. <laughs> you used a word I didn't know. I had to Google it. I was like, what is an ensorcelled altar box? Ensorcelled. Now I'm going to be saying ensorcelled constantly because. It's fun. It sounds so serious, doesn't it? Like that's. It's an old-fashioned word, so I there's love that. Old-fashioned words. Yeah, I love that. and it means enchanted, but mm -hmm. in a specific way, right? Like enchanted by the past, kind of. Is that how you're feeling it? Usually, uh, with with the aid of a spirit, is is the idea there? Way you cool. Know? Yeah, I want an ensorcelled altar box. You can have an ensorcelled anything you want. <laughs> this is exciting. I also, I just feel like you make shit up and you make it sound really compelling and exciting. 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And this is, this is the part I think of you being a performer. As a performer, I think you feel permission to do that and to create an enchanted world that other people get to participate in. And so I'm going to ask you what the hell a print process sigil is, if you're allowed to tell us. Oh, absolutely. So I'm going to answer the first question and then tell you about the, the print sigils. I do feel permission to make things up because I think that is the job of the creative person, particularly in the realm of making magic, because magic is one part play, one part tradition, right? So I want folks who use the book to feel free to play and that they're accessing their imagination. And you do that by making stuff up. Mm -hmm. The second reason I make stuff up is this is something I'm, I'm grateful to my fine art training in. 
uh, and my women's studies background is understanding that we live in a world that is uh, kind of dynamic and tense and flexible right now and cultural appropriation is a thing regardless of how you feel about it it is a it's part of the conversation right now mm-hmm. and I want people to feel empowered to create their own things so that they do not always feel trapped into taking so I think that that's a constructive response mm. so that's part part of why it's not the entire reason, but it's it's part of the conversation. It's part of why I make things up. Or, or the other part is folks who are participating in magical traditions. There are things that they just do not resonate with. And, and I almost, I feel a little resistance to even using the word resonate because I feel like some of these words we use so often interchangeably that they start to stop having a whole lot of meaning. Yeah. <laughs> so that they can create things that are specific to their situations, to their lives, to their environments, to what they're trying to achieve, to what they're trying to heal, and that you have permission, whether you call yourself an artist or not, to make things up because every everything we're doing now as a tradition or is a rule in magic was something else that somebody made up. So you have permission to go there. Uh, that's my TED talk about making up words. The print process <laughs> sigil. <laughs> First of all, let me just say this. We need a t-shirt for those people who are tempted to engage in cultural appropriation. We need a t-shirt or a mug or a bumper sticker that says make, don't take. Yeah. You're allowed to make things up. It's okay. It's your practice. Yay. Love it. Okay. Print process sigils. So we wanted to give people an opportunity to to teach them sort of a traditional or what has become a traditional way of crafting sigils, which is really a, a seal or a, a distilled symbol. And we talk about the Osmond's Bear method, as well as a more intuitive method for creating your own little visual language. Hold on, back up. What did you say? Osmond, what? Austin Osmond Spare, the, uh, he's, he's was, uh, an illustrator. He's an old dead magician and illustrator, but he is credited with coming up with the process for how we now know to create sigils. Um, if you, if, if any of your listeners are familiar with Grant Morrison and Phil Hine and sort of their, their chaos magic system for creating sigils, uh, the Osmond Spare method is where that inspiration came from. Okay. So clarification there. Sorry. No, um, good. I, I ask if I don't know, I assume other people don't know. No, that's a great question. So I also wanted to combine that because it's a thing people are always asking about, like, how do I create sigils? How do I create sigils? So I wanted to give them a really straightforward method for that because it's something I love to use in my work. I think they're very uh, versatile. They're very versatile and useful and also beautiful. And I love printmaking (laughs) and wanted to demystify printmaking for folks. So we have a couple of methods that we talk about in the book. We'll show them how to do their own limino cuts if they'd like to get fancy with that with some kind of traditional printmaking. And they also talk about how to use trash to make stamps, (laughs) things like that. So um, kind of whatever level you want to engage with printmaking, I wanted there to be something in there for you because it's such a satisfying 
Okay. <laughs> so maybe this might be good for somebody who is not into illustrating their sigils, but wants to maybe create them with stamps or something yes. like that. Yes. And what I love about that is you can use as many colors of ink as you want. You can layer them together. You could make ensorcelled. Ensorcelled. You could make ensorcelled wrapping paper or create your own stationery for your witchy pen pals or use them throughout your grimoire for continuity. I just think they're such like a useful, fun project that you make once and use again and again and again and again. And uh, none of the projects in the book require any drawing at all whatsoever. None of it is drawing. They are all mixed media, three-dimensional, magical objects. Except the gorgeous cover art. Correct. (laughs) Which is so Molly Robbins. I, I have to interrupt with a story because I must. I love still to this day, Anna Eisman. Anna Eisman and Henry Miller together were big influences on my life and going to Henry Miller Memorial Library for the first time was like a huge pilgrimage for me up in Big Sur way back in the day. I've been many times since, but I can't remember if it was the first time, but one of the first times I was there, it was still pretty open and and small and personal. And Anais Nin used to have her own printing press where she like pressed her own books by hand. And they had one of her books there with her thumbprint on it. And I was just so in love with that thumbprint of Anais Nin that will just live on forever. And I love the imperfection of that. And what you're saying right now about printing reminds me of that, but also just the lack of preciousness. You know, it's precious because you're making it, but also you're like, make your wrapping paper, make your stationery, share it with your friends. And I think that's really beautiful and practical in a way. Like it's living your life and incorporating your magic into it. 100%. Absolutely. Art magic objects are, I mean, they can be in a gallery. They absolutely can be. And I think I don't want to be down on fine artists. I don't want to be down on, you know, I get a lot of letters from folk who are trying to get their work out there. How do I apply to a gallery? How do I create a body of work, you know, in these, participate in the art world as, as we know it, right? But art magic, for me at least, is not necessarily about creating an object that's going to be admired by hundreds of thousands of people and then be reprinted on coffee cups for the next 50 years, you know? Mm. It's about sometimes uh, your own very personal healing. It can be about your very own personal space. It can be creating art for people you are in intimate relationships with, for your community. It's very much about work that I think can and should be shared. So yeah, there really isn't, the process is precious, but the object itself doesn't necessarily need to stay precious. And it's beautiful. Your knack for color. I, if I mm-hmm. had a say in your career, I would insist that the next book is like some sort of the house of an art, witch. I just feel like we need, <laughs> we need a lookbook, Molly. <laughs> I love a colorful wall and you have those and you have a a certain taste level that's really appealing to me. I feel like people would love to snoop through your home. 
That is, we actually, I do have a, a class on that, uh, but recently did a video tour of, of my home for my patrons and, and folk on the mailing list. And that was kind of like an interest. It's interesting to see your home back through the camera lens. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. kind of a, like a freaky little microscope there. Uh, but I did have a, a story that relates to this. Someone recently on YouTube mentioned that they were so happy to see that my altar had grown up. What? And I, and I thought it was funny because it's like, buddy, you haven't seen the rest of the house. <laughs> Because when I started on YouTube, I had uh, basically a walk-in closet that was my studio and altar room. And I had roommates and all kinds of other things going on there. And my honey and I bought a house and moved into it and promptly painted all the walls like insane colors. And we're, we're maximalists in terms of pattern and color. We don't have a lot of stuff but all the stuff we have is real loud <laughs> and there's toy collections and book collections and silly murals. So I had to laugh at that, that they were so glad that my altar had grown up. It's like, cause the whole house is an altar. The whole house is an art project and YouTube is usually only privy to a, a small portion of it because, you know, we're filming videos. We're talking about other things, but uh, I, I just thought that kind of tickled me. Mm. <laughs> It feels condescending to me, but it was, but I just had a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we can laugh at that. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> how much of your literal witchcraft being a witch performing magic is happening through art? Are you teaching art magic? Like this is witchcraft or are you teaching it? Like this is magic wink and a smile. Like what is, where do you land on that? Or do you even care? Maybe everybody has a different perspective on it. I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but can it be both? Yeah, I feel like it can. When I, when I look at your work, I feel like it probably means something different to everyone. Yeah. In terms of my own witchcraft practice. Yes. I think people do ask me this, you know, like, is everything you do art magic? And it's like, well, it depends on how you want to think about that. I'm not trying to avoid the question there, but it's entirely up to, up to you and up to the artist. You know, I have a grimoire. Yes. But I also have a sketchbook, you know, where I, I, I rant in it and, and make drawings about living with anxiety and depression and, you know, family relationships and things like that, or a funny squirrel. I thought, you know, it's not all, (laughs) Yeah, how to summon angels or dedicated to my goddess. I think to be balanced, you need you need space for both of those things. And for me, so much of my magical practice has become about remembering how to play. That sometimes it is a wink and a smile. Sometimes it is taking something so just making it silly to be silly. And it turns out to say something to your soul that you're like, wow, I didn't know I need to hear that, but there it is. And other times it can just be about, I think there is magic in beauty. There is magic in beauty. There is magic in decoration. And we talk about that, like it's a really vulgar thing, right? Like it's an insult to say that somebody's work is decorative at best. Mm. But I don't know. 
as a person who wakes up every day with a mission in their heart to seek beauty wherever possible, decoration can be divine. Beauty for beauty is also divine. And oh my gosh. We need. Yes. So I think it, it's all of it. It's been a while since I quoted her, but Julie Pyatt has a quote that I love when I was doing, I was doing a podcast called the Bebo effect, beauty in, mm-hmm. beauty, beauty out. And kind of this motto in my head was this Julie Pyatt quote, where she said, beauty is the first tenant of a spiritual practice. And I was like, oh, Ooh, I felt that. I just felt that. And it was, it felt radical mm-hmm. it and, is. It, and it felt true. It is. What, what are we doing when we're reading tarot cards or crafting sigils or creating an altar? There's beauty involved in that. And I also think it's interesting how beautiful we find nature. And a lot of people that identify as witches gravitate toward nature. And also science has been able to measure like babies staring at a beautiful face. So we have some sort of consensus on what beauty is, which is really interesting because it's so mysterious. It's almost ineffable, right? And mm-hmm. that's very magical to me. Absolutely. It, it's, it's evades definition, but mm-hmm. we seek it constantly, whether we know it or not. And we know it when we see it. Right. How is that not? I ah, I'm talking with my hands and you can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always I'm talking this, like, with my hands. <laughs> big cosmic kapow from my from my head right now uh, with my hands, and you you feel it. You feel it in your body. You know that it's right, and you you seek it. You seek it out in other people. You seek it in places. You might seek it in your own home, and you you have a desire to be able to produce it yourself. Mm-hmm. So, I think beauty has so much to do with the spiritual path with the magical path, with the creative path. Like what, what else is, what else is there? What else is the ultimately boiling down to it? What is the purpose of that path? If not to seek, live in and make beauty. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Another reason I feel privileged to live in the time that we do is I feel the secret to eternal youthfulness, not youth, but youthfulness is beauty and creativity. And we live in a time where there are people in their eighties and nineties and one hundreds that have fashion blogs and they're dancing and they're creating a following by sharing their illustrations or their art journals. And they seem so vibrant and so alive and I got this idea from Julia Cameron's The Artist Way, but she talks about God, source, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. as the big C, the big C as the creator. And we are extensions of that, the little C. I feel like it's our purpose to create. The universe expands every time we create. And I think that is why it's energizing and creates a certain radiance when we fulfill that purpose. Absolutely. Is that too I'm just deep? Thinking Is about that it, too deep? I don't know. I think about this no. stuff a lot too. <laughs> I was just absorbing what you said. And absolutely. That's true. I think that's true. I've heard you talk about angels. There's something in the description of your book about celestial aid. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
What are you talking about? There, I'm talking about celestial aid is how I, in, in this particular book, and a majority of the time when I'm teaching, for folks who are new to magic, we're talking about planetary archons. We're talking about planetary deity. We're talking planetary magic, which is at least what I study is hermetic magic. And I feel like sometimes, again, not to, I'm not attempting to be condescending, but in the beginning, that was very confusing to me. You know, 20 years ago when I started, I was like, what is going on here? And if someone had just explained it to me as it's celestial help in that, looking to the planets and the stars and what's going on helps you get a grip and feel where you are on the planet and where you are in your life. So that's what celestial aid is. Oh, okay. So I, I thought this was an angel thing. This is not, these are two separate things that you talk about. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll, uh, I'm not, I'm not like an angel person. You know what I mean? I don't want to take away anyone's experience and I don't want to take away what is true for them but the traditional angelic presence has never really spoken to my reality. And I think there's also something in there about being sort of like a recovering, <laughs> um, I don't want to say Christian in, because I went to a fabulous church. I went to a wonderful church growing up, oh. but sort of that, I don't know, like what we're, what we're sort of steeped in culturally in the U S I guess is what, what I want to say there. Okay. Um, but I don't really do angels, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But sometimes when you, it's, I think a lot of the words we use to describe things in the spiritual world in a lot of ways are, we're, we're talking about the same thing through our own lens. And for what may be an angelic presence or a, an angelic messenger or a guardian angel for someone else, to me, sounds like planetary help or sounds like it could be a, a voice of nature or a disembodied intelligence that I don't understand yet. So I think a lot of those things are the same, it's, it, but they need to come to you in a container that makes sense to you, right? Yeah. So angels don't make a ton of sense in my life, but they might for someone else. And vocabulary is important, but I think the core of the idea is the same. Disembodied help when you need it. Yeah. I think being a witch and being an artist, it's a slippery slope with all the words because, <laughs> because we're so creative, because we make shit up, because we use words and mean one thing when our friend is using the same word, they mean something completely different. And it opens up this discourse that I think is really interesting. I don't understand why people get so upset and controlling about it because I actually like all of the different perspectives and different opinions. Language in itself is, in some traditions, is considered to be a, a God form. Mm. It, it is the word. It yeah. is the message. And just like the universe, language is infinite and expanding all of the time. And so it is language's nature to be varied and flexible. <laughs> yeah. So I do think it's interesting that, that folk want to be really controlling about that in some ways, but um, it, that it's, it is not the nature of language. Language will never be static and it will never be one thing. So. That's... And sometimes you have to bring back the word like ensorcelled. Hell yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that just like, oh, 
it just <laughs> it just scratches like this really satiating like magician itch for me to use really silly old school words sometimes. Uh, and uh, some of that is a little bit, I don't know if it's deceptive. I'll say it is. Why not? <laughs> just say some folk come into magic saying, well, I just really love Harry Potter, but I don't believe any of this crap. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But part of them really does. Part of them really wants to be in relationship with it. And I think for some people, it makes it accessible if you use a different kind of language to say, you don't have to buy into this wholesale like a religion, okay? You're here to experiment and expand and have fun with it. So let's use language that delights us and lights up the imagination. And if you want to come up with some other word or some other identification or concept for this later, you have the right to do that. But let's invite each other in using playful language and see what happens. Mm. So there is a method. Yeah. I mean, I think on the other side of the spectrum, which I sometimes speak to, are people who they're not whimsical. And they want to know the science and they want to know the psychology. And I sometimes lean that way because I like to demystify these things that I think potentially are helpful for people. And I guess I kind of straddle both. I can be very whimsical, but also I want to know why, how, how does that work? Does that really work? Are we just like foofing about here? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You know, I I think the spirit part of you wants the... And when I mean you, I mean rhetorically, wants the, how is this going to work? Where am I going? How is this helpful to me? Mm -hmm. Right? And there is that part of magic. And then there's the other part of magic that's about your soul. That's Mm -hmm. about the, what you don't understand and being okay with the mystery and needing something weird and, and strange to stir us. Magic does that too. And so I think there's a place, and for me personally, the happy place is where those two spheres overlap. That's, that's the happy place. That's Mm -hmm. where I'm trying to to go. I feel like the Molly Roberts art magic lives there, right there, right in that sweet spot. And what we were were saying about beauty and all of that and what you were saying about soul just now reminds me so much of the work of Thomas More with care of the soul and how beauty is a really important part of soul. Soul Mm. speaks a different language. Also bringing it back to what we're saying about language. Soul speaks in movement and scent and paint and color and shape doesn't necessarily speak in words and if it does it's probably poetic and it's also related to what you're talking about it's also not you know the the spirit wants to be productive the soul doesn't care if it's productive it just it wants to experience so and i and i think that that's that's an important place for people to go i think especially right now that's just my humble opinion one person's opinion but learning to be okay with difficult things, learning to be okay with unknown things, learning to be okay with things that might not resolve, you know, and those are, that's the soul. That's where the soul is. Yeah. Um, 
So, and beauty is how it, it's the fuel for your soul to work through those things. So, yeah. yeah. Can we go back to the emergency room? However many years ago you were in the emergency room and Mm. how and why that was pivotal to you becoming the person you are today. I'm, (sighs) I'm curious about this. I want to hear this story. Yeah. So this was in the time I had left college as an overachiever (laughs) (laughs) and working two jobs, one at said institution that that we um, had talked about earlier in in the podcast and uh, working a second job and also trying to run my own gallery at the time, as well as fronting a band. And then, you know, like doing all of those other kind of life things. And I was working, I think 80 hours, doing like 80 hours a week on the regular. Just to clarify, you didn't leave college. You, you got a degree. Graduated. Correct. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to be clear. Oh, that that. was the other thing too. I forgot. Yeah. I was going for a secondary degree at the time. So, (laughs) so things were kind of piling up. But everything tells you, you know, culture tells you more is better and you need to be grinding and you need to be pushing and you need to be productive and you need to be a professional. And I was trying to live that life and, oh, shoot, why can't I think of her name? She wrote that wonderful book, The Way of Integrity, Martha. Oh, Martha Beck. Yes. When she talks about the dark wood of error Mm. and the symptoms of the dark wood of error, Holy smokes, all of them, all of them. And this was also kind of before we were talking about like, like burnout was sort of part of the vernacular and people understood what that means. So, you know, previous to this, my hair was falling out. I dropped a ton of weight and become like totally isolated. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. I like lived on vodka when, uh, for anyone else who's out there in the service industry or is no longer in the service industry, they know that drugs and drinking are a big part of sort of like how you build community. And if you want to be part of the team, you want to be part of the group, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, I fainted. So I I fainted and fell down a a set of steps because I, I just straight up fell down passed out but I had assumed I had the flu and I worked a job where you could not call in and I didn't want to get fired so I kept trying to go to work and then I fell down this set of steps and luckily I didn't break any bones or anything but it was I thought I had the flu and it was actually a kidney infection wow so but I was trying so hard to just soldier through it and do all of the things right just like be a good girl and do all the things and it was that experience that said, you, you have to stop, you have to stop. And I had essentially like a nervous breakdown and I didn't know what to do because I thought all of these things were things I wanted and I didn't want any of these things. And I built my life around all these things I didn't want. And that breaks your heart. You know, lots of people go through, everyone goes through this. This is like your dark night of the soul, right? And I remember, I didn't know what else to do. My boss sent me home. They were upset with me because uh, I had called them from the emergency room. How um, dare you? Yeah. 
And I didn't know what else to do. I was afraid I was going to get fired. And so I called up a friend who was a very well-respected tarot reader. And I just asked her, you know, what do I do? She told me to come over. And we're sitting in her den and we're smoking cigarettes because that's what I was doing at the time. (laughs) (laughs) It was a rough day. Thanks for painting the picture for us, Molly. We're with you. We're with you in the room, smoking the cigarettes with the tarot reading friend. And the only thing I remember about that tarot reading at the very end of it was her, she had these like really, really beautiful long nails and she just pointed to this card and looked me dead in the face. And she's like, you're not a victim. And that like rattled something inside of me. And I was like, you're right. I'm not. And so I went and I resigned and I closed down my my gallery and my band had fallen apart and like all these other things. I was like, you're right. I'm not a victim. I'm going to go and I'm going to blow these things up, blow them up and start over. And that's when I moved and Alex and I moved in together. And uh, sorry for those folks who don't know, that's my husband and started building a new life. And at the very beginning of that, interestingly enough, which is why I think this, this being able to share this project with you, Joanna, on this podcast is so interesting because not long after that was when I decided to make a couple of YouTube videos, just because I'd been a creeper for so long Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) that I wanted to contribute. And I had no idea anybody would ever watch any of these. I was just, you know, on my like potato of a phone making (laughs) videos and meeting people and feeling like less alone and finding other people who are trying to rebuild their lives and do something beautiful and have a creative life. And uh, not long after that, (laughs) uh, you and I met. And I remember you were the person who said, you should be an art witch. I was like, you know what? I think that's a good idea. (laughs) And here we are. (laughs) The thing about that conversation that always comes back to me is I just vividly remember telling you, you are going to have a much bigger audience than I do. And that's going to happen very quickly. And I was correct. (laughs) It did. You just went like zooming past me. And I was like, there she goes, a string of magenta and orange. (laughs) That phone call changed my life. That phone call changed my life. So sometimes people can see you better than you can see yourself I think mm-hmm. having somebody just reflect you back at yourself I think is really different than trying to like work out your shit on a piece of paper oh it's such a gift mm-hmm. like having a, a friend or a coach or a, a reader or a therapist who's really good at actually doing that oh my gosh is that a gift yeah, it, yeah it's worth it it is yeah you need a person like that even if you, even if, if you have to hire them you you need a person like that absolutely Absolutely. Okay. I do have one more question about sigils because within your bio, when you're talking about ending up in the emergency room and you are not a victim, that tarot moment, you also mentioned something called the accidental super sigil. Yes. What the hell is that? And why do I love it? (laughs) The accidental super sigil. So I talked about this a little bit. I made an art, which zine the practical tactics for art magic, where I talked about it a little bit, but haven't really talked about this publicly in a big way, but I'd gotten the idea 
from, there's a, a very famous, I've, I mentioned him before, very, very famous Grant Morrison talk uh, where he's teaching people about how to make sigils. And in that talk, he explains how he started bringing about events in his life by creating comic books about them. And I thought that was such a wonderful idea. It sounded just so freaky to me. And this was, this is, oh, wow well over a decade ago and i thought what the heck i'm blowing up my life i'm i'm starting over i i don't want to have this super stuffy looks really great on paper art career but feels like crap in a cage i'm just going to start making like what i thought at the time were like really terrible, trashy paintings, like on purpose. Mm. I like that were just straight up decorative and wacky and they were supposed to be funny, which was not a, a thing you were allowed to do in our school. But I decided I was going to make, because these were paintings I was making for myself, I was going to make myself the central character in all of these paintings. And I decided to just make them huge and neon and throw paint at it and use candy wrapper collage and I bought a bedazzler and tried to figure out how to bedazzle onto uh, these giant (laughs) canvases and like uh, trash just trash I would find on my walks and you know they would be sort of superhero pictures and of this world being kind of created around me that was wild and sparkly and just funky and I made a fairly large series of paintings and sort of out of the blue which this never happens this never happens someone who was opening a gallery downtown said we heard about your work we think it's really interesting would you like to do a solo show and I freaked out I freaked out but said why not So I worked really, 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 really hard, like quickly. So there was a ton of energy really quickly into this series of paintings. And that's where the Herspeak, part of the Herspeak mythology came from uh, when I used to be Herspeak on YouTube. And the show was called Re-Evolution. So this was just supposed to be a personal, like breaking out of a cocoon. I want to be a new creature. And... I think it was two parts. I think the creation of these paintings really intently with a ton of energy all at the same time was a big deal, right? But the other part was all the public that came to see them, like, and adding kind of their energy and their enthusiasm to this new story that I was telling about myself. They were looking at wild, like, comic book paintings that they were just enjoying. But for me, it was like, this is how I want to script the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking of scripting this whole talk right here. Like, yes, and, this is like visual, visual scripting. scripting. Yes. Oh my and, God. And from those paintings was where Tiger Knight, my then band, came from. All of the imagery came directly from those paintings. So it was sort of the next incarnation. And then as a band, we made records, which I don't know what a record is if, if it's not a super sigil. 
wow. <laughs> a group of people really intently creating and tweaking and focusing and, and creating a body of work. And we were a very theatrical, you know, I, we cared very much about the music, but we also wanted to provide people with an experience when they came to the show. So the records were like super sigils and the shows were the same way. We ran them like rituals. And that's, that's kind of been my formula for art magic since then. Oh, so that's how I, hey. how I do art magic in my life. Burlesque was also a part of that. So costuming is a big, big part of my art magic, um, music making, all of that. It all came from the same place, but it was all birthed from that initial gallery show, which I later figured out was a super sigil. <laughs> that's yeah. why I call it an accidental. You know what's sigil. fascinating is at some point in what you just described, you said, I was creating this world, you know, and you have created a world where I can look at Tiger Knight, your band. I can look at some of the paintings you've done. I can look at your videos and it is a cohesive world. It is the Molly Roberts world, which mm -hmm. is really important for any aspiring artist to know. Like if you want a career that way, that cohesion is an asset. You know, if you think Tim Burton, immediately, you know what that is. Like you mm -hmm. can walk through a store and be like, that looks very Tim Burton. You know, it's that artistic signature that comes from being yourself. And something about, I keep thinking about congruency when I'm talking to you and what you described about that gallery reaching out to you. It's so much like what happened with Art Magic, your book. It's really, really similar. You were just being yourself. A hundred percent. And it attracted a really beautiful opportunity and partnership that then you had to work your ass off <laughs> mm -hmm. to participate in. And you did the work. And now here we are talking about this book and all kinds of other things. But it, it sounds like a really similar experience. It was. It's a freakily similar <laughs> I, I don't think it's the end. I think this is your trajectory. I think this is the Molly Roberts way and that we all should take a tip. Be yourself so deeply, so authentically, so congruently, and then attract from that place. I, I think that's great advice. I've said this many, many times, but I think the, the world is not in need of more cool people. It's not in need of more aloof people. It's not in need of more cynical people. I think what we need collectively and what we need to be well personally, Cliff thinks so too. Yeah, we got it. We got yeah, the cat endorsement. <laughs> Cliff is, is here to say hello. Hello, buddy. Is to be as much of yourself as you can. And it's hard. I'm not going to say that it's not hard because everybody says, you know, just be yourself. Like, well, duh. well, be yourself and have a damn work ethic. Yeah. Be committed. Be committed. And if it's hard to be committed to yourself, that's okay. Then be committed to being of service. And that looks like a lot of things. And that personally is what motivates me because if it was just making things for me, for me, I think there's a lot of days I wouldn't do the making, but being motivated to do the making, to be of service to something larger, whatever that is, whether it's a, a community or an idea or whatever, um, that's, 
that's where the motivation comes from. That's where the work ethic comes from. And I think that's where the ideas come from. Okay. I feel like you just answered my last question that I always ask. How do you create the kick-ass life of your dreams? You just answered it. Be yourself Mm. and, and be consistent, have a work ethic, show up, be of service. And I think the only thing well, to, to, to answer your question, you know, for, for completeness here, for, yeah, let's, let's <laughs> for be complete. well, we have to tell people how to find you too, but let's be complete. Let's be complete. I think all the things that we just talked about, as well as being okay with pursuing a desire that doesn't necessarily yield the practical results, hmm. the most magical desires, the ones that have the potency are not usually the ones that look really good on paper. So I'll put that out there. It's a soul thing. Okay. Molly Roberts, where Mm -hmm. can people on the go? I'm going to put links to all your things on show notes. I hope they will all pre-order art magic. So you get the credit for that pre-orders are so important to anybody listening. It's what helps bookstores determine how many books they're going to put on their shelves and who gets priority on Amazon is important. Do your pre-orders if you want to get Molly's book, but where can they, if they're just on the go listening, is there a URL you can give them that they can remember? That's easy. You can find everything, the book, the videos, the blog, the anything you want to do is at mollyrobertsmagic.com. Magic with a K. Correct. <laughs> Molly Roberts, magic with a K.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for another amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you for being my friend. And thank you for having me on your show. And thank you to all of you lovely people who are listening. Thanks for being with us. That was good. That was good. You think you know a person and then you interview them and you realize you don't know shit. (laughs) I learned a lot about Molly during this interview. Isn't she interesting and so sincere? I'm inspired. I'm inspired. I can't wait to go to Target (laughs) and take a picture of her book on the shelf. I hope you all will pre-order it. If you're planning on ordering it, you might as well pre-order it. And if that's not in your budget, she has all kinds of free videos on YouTube and lots of fun downloadable things on her blog. You definitely can enjoy the Molly Roberts magic without spending a dime because the internet. The internet is a magical place. I hope 2022 is treating you exceptionally well so far, and until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.